Well, welcome back to uh, our podcast. This is uh, Pastor Jonathan Borman, and and I have uh, here from from Peace Lutheran in Aiken, South Carolina. I've got my twin brother here. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, middle of New York City, Sure Foundation Lutheran Church. And uh, you know, we have this problem that we cannot seem to get as far as we want. It's a and big problem, John. It's I kind a big of blame problem. you for it. <laughs> It could be. I just start yakking about. I get so excited about this stuff. But last time we really started getting into this idea of how God sets down this uh, this prophet in front of people, and he says his words are my words. And actually, he asks it. You know, he isn't. Isn't that the case? Right? Yeah. But sorry, I'm interrupting you. <laughs> Yeah, so he he uses a, a a literary device to lead people to this truth. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Rhetorical questions. Yeah. We we had to leave it there because probably because I was yakking too much, and I apologize for that. But I I, I do want to just finish up this idea. And you know, Timothy, you and I we've talked about how this is really about. Uh, the Reformation, why we want to do this. We want to bring the Word to people, God's Word to people. We want to help people understand how God works in their lives. And I I really think it's important for our listeners to understand that um, how God works and that he, he's, His Word, His Christ, is not locked up in heaven away from sinners, but that when you come into contact with God's word, he's right there. See, that's, that's the He's the unseen cause, like we talked about in the last episode. He's right there. It, it can be, when you hear his word from somebody, it's not like it, he, he put that guy there. So you're saying, you're saying the guy, let's say your pastor, he's, he's balding worse than you and Maybe he's a little bit. <laughs> How can it be worse than me? Yeah, right? yeah. And uh, he might put you to sleep a little bit, and I hope know. not. But yeah, yeah, you know. And maybe he makes you upset sometimes. How? What do you do with that? You're saying that's from God. So, look here. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a difference between what I'm going to call God talk. You know, most this is what most Christians think is happening. Like you, you come, okay, I go to church or I open my Bible or whatever, and I'm going to I'm going to hear about God. Uh, I'm going to hear about faith. I'm going to hear about love. I'm going to hear about these things. And this is what my point is. It's way more than that. This is not just God talk. This is God acting it's god talking yeah he, he <laughs> actively yeah he he is in other words this is what i'm saying god is bridging the entire gap to the sinner he he calls he in this case through through the, can see, through a means right through a means it, through through his church through a prophet through through a pastor through his word he is bridging the entire gap to the sinner and in other words you you see this in Christ, right? How did God save us? So Christ comes, he takes on flesh, he becomes one of us. And what is he called? The Word. He bridges the entire gap to people so that 
when you come to church, this is what's actually happening. And, it, and I think it's so important for us to just be shock and awe about this, is that even though it looks like absolutely nothing, this poor guy from, in, in my case, you might say this poor guy from Petoskey, Michigan. Like, who is this guy? You know, born in Petoskey, who cares? You're you know? a nobody. <laughs> yeah, who am I? I'm just a sinner. But God puts a word on my tongue, and it really is God speaking through me through his word. That's amazing and awe-inspiring stuff. Yeah. And and yet, that's so hard to believe. Like to bring it back to the to the context here in Amos is he's standing there before the people with shock and awe. The great sect speeches and and the people are like who are you to talk to me like this? And Amos says I'm sent from the Lord. And you got to you have to you have to wonder, like, did they believe him? And the answer to that is, no. That's the shocking thing, is they didn't, they didn't want to hear this as a word from their God. Hmm. And they suffered for it. They suffered for it. So the big call to, to repentance for us is, is to see how, to actually see how God works and and to receive it in faith, and 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 to tune in on Sunday mornings too. I think that's part of it. It's like when a pastor stands up there and speaks, to hear that as as coming from God, both law and gospel, and and just to be a receiver and say, you know, Lord, my pastor looks tired today, but when he speaks to me words of law and grace. I'm going to I'm going to receive them as if they're coming from you because they are coming from you. And and all of a sudden the good news that he's speaking becomes even better news. <laughs> because it's God. Yeah. Oh, he's just folding his arms. I I mean, this is just me talking as a pastor, but I there's so much in me that wants my people to just forget just forget about me. I mean, I'm so moved by this because uh I you know I'm just a I'm just a pawn I'm just a I'm just a mode I like I can I craft and I think about how to bring the word in a thoughtful inspiring way but at the end of the day all I have is a word of law and a word of gospel for God's people and God wants them to receive it in faith yeah, and, and wow, I'm moved too because you are. <laughs> that one 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 of the places where this got beat into me is recently when my associate left, and and I just had to realize like all of that work that we spent eight years together. You know, you you think, boy, I wish I would have enjoyed that more with him, and and all those different things, and and yet he left, and I thought, you know, the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters, what's left of his work, is when he spoke of Jesus. And he did speak of Jesus. And and I, I thought, people might run for the hills because he was a good pastor, you know. And they didn't. And the reason why they stayed is because they want they want me to speak of Jesus and they want our new pastor to speak of Jesus too. That's what really matters. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So I want to switch. I want to switch gears with you here for a second. 
because we gotta we gotta touch on one more thing for the, from these verses, and and just kind of dig into a theological point for a second. And this is from Amos six verse six. Remember the there's this is a seventh rhetorical question. The the frog waters getting hotter, the threat levels rising, and this is how it culminates. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? And if you're following those questions, the answer to that that Amos wants you to give is what? Has the Lord caused the disaster in the city or not? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not. Don't sure get weak in the knees. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting. I'm. I'm a secure center. You know, I'm going to play secure center right now. I don't know, Amos. You tell me. <laughs> but really, he's got us nailed, doesn't he? He. The answer that Amos wants us to give is yes. The Lord is the one that brings disaster on a city. Now, okay. So this Woo! is, uh, yeah, wow. I mean, should I take it back? Should I get weak in the knees? <laughs> like a lot of theologians do. Here, I okay, I'm sitting in the middle of New York City, Jonathan, and... Um, the trade towers aren't standing anymore. Right. Yeah. And so, like, as I'm sitting here, millions of people are walking by, and I'm sitting here thinking, sure about that, Amos? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But then you go back. Like, I mean, you think it through. What? What? Go back all the way to Genesis. What does God say? Whenever we experience what what we'll call the curse of sin, which is always what brings judgment, is uh, God immediately said, "You're going to see, you're going to see the results of sin, and uh, things are going to fall down, things are going to get wrecked." Um, and you can see the list Moses there gives of the results of sin. So stop, uh, let me stop you right there. Is like who actually causes suffering originally? In the Genesis account, yeah, the the ultimate cause of of sin is is the evil one, uh -huh. and then the result of that sin is God sends suffering to the world, pain in childbirth, the sweat of your brow. I mean, that's the kind of suffering that we're talking about. Is God says, "Okay, now you're going to suffer." And he's to drive, and we have to understand this. He's always trying to drive us to his promises. That's what he's always trying to do with suffering. He's and Jesus says the same thing, doesn't he? Is people are like, oh, you know, it, with the you know with the tower and stuff like that falls down, and people like, national tragedy there in Jesus' time. Tower falls on on some people, and it makes headlines everywhere, and. Um, People say, well, it, it fell because they were especially heinous sinners. Boy, bad, they must bad have, sinners. Yeah, they must have been worse than everybody else. And Jesus says, uh-uh. You, you need to take this opportunity you, you, where you experience suffering and say, boy, I deserve that too. And because when you say that, then you're going you're gonna to come to him and find shelter. I, I, don't, I don't want the tower to fall on me in judgment. 
And the only way it's not is you need to be forgiven. <laughs> so, so Jesus is saying, like, the cause is not the that there's such bad sinners. He, he actually takes people's eyes off the cause and he says, um, repent. And he wants them to recognize their own sin. Right. So anytime we experience uh, a, a, a sin-filled world, we, we have to say, wow, I'm a part of this thing. You know, I'm a part of this thing. Uh, look, m last week, um, my daughter had to go in for surgery again. And this is not the first time. This happened a number of times in our lives with Eliana, and she goes in for surgery. And I could say, oh, woe is me. God is being unfair. And, and why, why does this have to happen? And, but instead, my response was, this, it, it was really interesting. Both, every time I go in for we pray, we pray together as a family, and I crack every time she, before she gets wheeled away. And first of all, because I feel so powerless, but, but secondly, because every time that happens, I feel the weight of sin. Things are broken here. Things are wrecked here. And it's my fault as much as it is anybody else's. And I need, I need, and that's repentance in me. I need my Christ to come and save me from my own mess. Yeah, and so, like, when we think here we are in this whole cause and effect, and we're, and we're working this in our minds, because Amos wants us to work it through this, these rhetorical questions, and he's saying, I want you to look around in your life, and when, and actually the Hebrew word here, Jonathan, is, he, is evil. When, when something that you look at and you say, and you call it out and you say, that's bad, that's bad, that's, that looks like evil to me. He's saying, I want you to see the cause of that, and that, that's coming from God. That it, that's how I want you to answer that question. Now, isn't, Timothy, isn't this what we'd call the theology of the cross? Like it's so it's so backwards how how God sometimes works in our lives. Like he he comes to us to to tune us up, to love us, to keep us driving back to his love, sometimes through suffering. That's and so, exactly it, yeah. So Paul so Paul can say, and Paul the apostle Paul comes to us and he says, Look, God's gonna work out everything for your good, and you say, What? How you know, how is that possible? How how is this how is this pain good? I, like it can't possibly be. <laughs> really, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> really, God? Like how is this? How is this good that my that my daughter's being wheeled off to to surgery? How how is this good? Why would that, you cause it? You know, why would you cause yeah, it? And God, how how is this possible? And and then what you find is it is God is driving you back to His Christ. And you know, I actually. I, I was thinking about this. Everybody's got their own thing that they go through, but the thing for me was when my wife, you know, miscarried twice. And I, I just remember distinctly on my way home thinking, why would you do this to me, Lord? Is this a big game that we would start dreaming of names and addition, beautiful additions to our family 
and then you would just take it away. Like, why would you cause, you know, a miscarriage? That, and you, Jonathan, you know our struggles to have kids in the first place. And so, like, when you're going through it, you're, you kind of, you go through all the stages of grieving, like loss and anger and all these different, and sadness and acceptance and all those different things. And I would actually rather have it come from God than from Satan. And, and the reason why is because I know that ultimately God loves me. And that's, that's what ended up healing me from that loss, is I, I, could, I could say that this came from the hand of a loving God who has me in his grip, and he is leading me heavenward. If he's, yeah. I would rather yeah. have it that way than have, it, have him just standing on the sidelines saying, oh, poor you, I guess I just let that happen to you, and I wasn't involved in it in all these different things. I just stepped aside from my sovereignty and my care and my fatherly heart. I, and unfortunately, you got breast cancer. Or, you know, it, or, like, or like you're it, as if our life is like, is like the Super Bowl and, and God is like just watching it from the sidelines. Like, oh, look, he just blew out his knee or whatever. Too bad. I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen there. Like the enemy brings you down and he's like oh look at that like he it's god permissible god and and no i'd rather have it come from the from the hand of my god the greatest look this is all theology of the cross for our listeners and i i really hope our listeners are feeling things in their own lives that look so backwards so wrong like god isn't involved in it and uh, let me give you the greatest proof of this i mean yeah, yeah, my church. You, everybody's gonna get just know us after a while. But what is the greatest proof of this? How do you know this? The cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. It has to be. That's the only the place. cross of Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, you look, you look, look, look at you got Judas who's betrayed, and and Jesus can be like, God, how's this, how's this possible? Like you're selling me out to this guy, and then God takes that the greatest suffering of all, the, the death of his own son, he flips that on his head, and what does he do with it? He saves the whole world. <laughs> he saves the entire world. <laughs> and he, and, you can, and he, he rises can, God, again. God can't flip our suffering on its head. He flipped Jesus' suffering on its head. He can't do that for us. Of course well, he, he can. Well, he plans to. I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing is the big meta narrative like we call it the big story like we always have to see ourselves in the big story uh and that's the fact that all of this ends in glory in resurrection in new life it it always does and sometimes as christians i think that's really what we're lacking today is we don't put ourselves in the meta narrative we don't put ourselves in the big story and we can't see we fail to see the big pictures like right now i'm on the road with Jesus uh, to be nailed to the cross, but we, well, we, yeah. we don't finish the story, and we don't see ourselves rising with Him, and yeah. ruling with Him, and so like at, that. There's an empty grave at the end of it all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But like Amos, Amos three verse six, huge. 
It, you can't understate the importance of this verse theologically and also pastorally and purpose, personally. Like this is, when you read that verse, you got to get personal with it and be like, what, what's Amos, how does Amos want me to answer this? He wants me to say that God is the cause and, and then to see in God his loving heart. Yeah. So we, we actually call this a sedes passage, so a sedes doctrinae, so it's the seat of the doctrine that God is sovereign, right? That's, that's what we might say is God is sovereign. He's loving us and he's our father in every circumstance. Our father, you know, our God, father. God is father, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> did we did we just Dude. finish Amos uh, three one to eight? <laughs> I think we just finished it. Yeah, Maybe so we can get through the rest of the I chapter. I think we can here. finish it. Let's see if we can. So picking up with verse nine, um, Amos is now he's going to speak these uh, uh, oracles of judgment. So the rest of the chapter, verses nine to fifteen, is really um, Amos keeping his word. I'm going to. I'm going to bring these oracles of judgment to you. And I, I thought what we could do with Jonathan with the rest of these verses is just kind of review Amos's message with, with the idea of house. So mm-hmm. like at the end of these verses, what you have here is on the day I punish Israel for her sins, I'll destroy the altars of Bethel. And that, so that's a house, Bet Ale, that's the house of God. Bethel just means house of God. And then he goes on to say the horn. Which is so ironic because it was a house of idolatry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's where they were doing false worship. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get more houses in a second. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. He says, I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed. And the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. It's a lot of houses there, you know. Wow. So, that, like, we could nice. We could, like, <laughs> we did in the last episode. We could actually run Amos's whole book through the through the lens of house. Like, so his, his message is, you people with the big houses. <laughs> Well, not just big houses, but multiple, multiple houses. houses, like winter houses and summer houses and houses ivory inlaid ivory houses, mansions, and like you. Hello, yeah. <laughs> you people with those kinds of houses. You're oppressing the poor. You're you're trading uh, people for crocs. You're laying down with borrowed clothing to have sex uh, next to altars with prostitutes that you're also economically abusing. Uh, and he's saying to these people, these houses, repent. God's going to... That, God, that house isn't going to last. Yeah, guys. so the we got a bunch of houses here. And 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 the Lord's saying, these houses are, are, are coming down. We You know, we could actually run the whole Bible through the idea of house too. You know what I mean? Yes, by we, that? Like, yes <laughs> we could. <laughs> it's kind of, it, you, you can do that with Amos's book, but you can also do that with the whole Bible. And like when I, 
when I think about house, I, I, I go right to Jesus' words where I'm, I'm preparing a house for you. Yeah, and even before that, Jesus, okay, Sermon on the Mount, you know, you got don't build your house on the sand. Yeah, like, (laughs) there's a house that's going to last. And it's the house that's built on Christ. That's the only and and like you say, what the house that's built on Christ is becomes an eternal mansion. Like you say, that's right. Even doesn't the writer of the Hebrews say the same thing? Who's the great who's the owner of the whole house? It's Christ's house. Yeah. And I'm sitting here in the middle of New York City, I mean, how do you hear that? When I hear it, like, my people don't own houses. They can't. They don't have enough money. None of them own a house. It's, we're all renters. And I don't know how many funerals I've done where I'll stand up there and say, you know, just last week, she's not paying rent anymore. And people kind of crack a smile, but it's seriously. Like, we no more pain, no more suffering. And for us, it's like no more paying rent. No more paying. Like, how, how many of your people actually own their houses, too? Like, no more paying the bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. There's no more mortgage. The bank really owns most of the house. But and take the take it one step further, Timothy. And isn't it true that we're all just tenting right now? Like we're all just tenting. Mm-hmm. My look, look, my body is just a tent, and it's nothing permanent. <laughs> this thing's not immortal. This is not. I'm not there yet. I'm so tenting you, right now. You run that back through Amos's book, and you're thinking that these people are actually acting like they're not tenting. Like yeah, like I'm, I'm here. I got. I'm gonna establish this winter house, and when it gets warm again, I'm gonna go up in the mountains and get that summer house. <laughs> and then I'm gonna inlay this sucker with ivory. <laughs> <laughs> like this, this is all there is. This is the end of the line. And yeah, might as well enjoy it. <laughs> and and that like that has a disastrous uh, spiritual effect on you, but it also allows you to abuse others and because you have to take while you can and 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 you have like to to put it in the parable of the uh, of uh, lazarus and and the rich man who never gets a name that's interesting you you have this big old house and right outside is are the people that god loves and that god has named in his heart and Specifically, he named Lazarus in his heart, and in order. So Amos, yeah. So Amos just he takes down all those temporary houses, really only so we cling to a permanent one. That will that can never be demolished. In Jesus' name, that's exactly it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we gotta. Next week, here's here's what we're gonna do in our next podcast. We're gonna we're gonna talk about sarcasm and irony. Ooh, sounds fun. And and we're gonna kind of go back to what a comment that we made in the very first podcast about um, what the connection between women is and cows of Bashan. So <laughs> we we can 
have people. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sounds problematic for a couple men to handle. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll do it with great joy and and uh, come come. There's a lot of culture. Yeah, just to kind of set the stage a little. There's a lot of cultural things that we have to understand that maybe it's not so bad to to have a little bit on those bones, you know, back then, because that meant you were rich. But we can get into that um, <laughs> oh, a little boy. bit next time. Hot waters are coming. <laughs> Hot waters, yeah. <laughs> but what, I think it'll, it'll give us a chance to explore another, the sarcasm, because it's thick and it is heavy. That's next time. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs>